think it's safe to say we've got a killer podcast this week. Ah, see, that is entertainment. Welcome. We are live at the Gateway Film Center in Columbus, Ohio, for our monthly Fright Club Live in front of this great studio, well, theater audience. That's right. And we're going to talk about our top five serial killer movies. We are. So welcome to it. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And we are from MadWolf.com. And uh, yeah, it's all about the serial killers this week. But before we get to that, we have to say thank you to our buddy Mac for last podcast. That's right. He joined us, Hangover and All, from England to talk about Asylum movies and then talk about almost his first B and E. So that was a fun. That was a fun story. <laughs> yeah. No extradition to worry about since he was here and now he's there. That's right. That was awesome. It was very nice of him to join I, us. I was kind of surprised it took us that long to get to it. Asylums are just freaky. They are. You know. It took us that long to, to get to that as a topic, but it worked. Well, he floated that idea to us like a year ago, and I'm like, yeah, let's totally do that. And then I realized how many I had not seen. I'm like, damn, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> so, so we put it off. Yeah, so thank you to Anakmak. Thanks for the feedback on that podcast as we get ready for this one. we got to take care of a couple of – oh, she is here. we got to say happy birthday to Fright Club Natalia right happy there. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yay. Thank happy you. birthday also to Matt Weiner, who isn't here yet, but is one of the writers for us. And also, as long as we're saying happy birthday, our niece Vivian turns 10 years old today. Yeah, so happy birthdays happy birthday, all around, Viv. and especially to Natalia for sharing That's it with right. us. We appreciate that. So let's get right to it, right? Our top five favorite serial killers. That seems like a weird phrase to say. It's our favorite serial killers. <laughs> But that's what we're doing, and we're going to start in 2001. A man confesses to an FBI agent a story of how his religious fanatic father's visions led to a series of murders to destroy supposed demons. It's frailty. They were raised to obey their father. Go do some homework. To love him. To trust him. Night, boys. Sleep tight. Don't let those bed bugs bite. Until. Wake up. I've got something to tell you. What's wrong? There are demons among us. I can see the demons, while other people can. I'm scared, Dad. God will be sending a list of the first seven demons. These are people's names. And they'll look like people. They're not. You're crazy! Only demons should fear me. And you're not a demon, are you? I remember the first time we saw this, it was kind of a, kind of came out of nowhere and being so impressed by it. But now, especially watching that trailer, Anybody that was here for Last Fright Club Live and saw um, They Look Like People, it's very reminiscent of that. In fact, he even says that. They'll look like people. Yep. Some of the themes are the same. But as you may know, this was the directorial debut of the late Bill Paxton. And it was so well directed. It, it's kind of weird that he didn't go on and direct more movies. It was so well done. Yeah, it was. And it was, it was really an impressive film that I think led you to uh, believe you knew it was going to happen. Because you're so kind of used to religious ideas and, and sort of zealotry and horror films all together. And it was so earnest that, that it even set you up more for the fact that they were going to, to turn in one direction. And in fact, they turned in a completely other direction, which I thought was really magnificent. And um, the setting is so spot on, right down to like the Dukes of Hazard t-shirts. So it's like... <laughs> I it know really, you appreciated that. Uh, yeah. It, it really challenged sort of what you thought about just good, wholesome people, which is, is, a, is a really common trope for horror, but I think he did it much more honestly. Yeah, and it was loosely based on the case of American serial killer Joseph Callinger, uh, who murdered three people and tortured four families, and he claimed insanity. Uh, he, he pleaded insanity, claiming God had told him to kill. And originally, I guess, Bill Paxton planned to have 
the demons' crimes shown when the dad first touched them. But then James Cameron uh, suggested that he, he, he changed that part so that the information is a surprise until the end. So it's a little bit of a little bit of a change in how it was first dreamed up, but I think it it works all the way through. It's just really really solid film and un, and very unsettling. Very, very, and of course, as the trailer points out, in case you were curious, there is a shirtless Matthew McConaughey. What, I'm wondering at what point this career, <laughs> which is just, so rare, you know, the uncommon sighting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, but that's one that's um, again, it's. It's it's a shame that you know Bill Paxton passed away so early, but I would think that he had more. You know, he made a bad golf movie. That's right. He directed he did. a really bad golf movie. He also directed the video for the song Fish Heads. Remember that. That's right. Check Roly- it out on YouTube later. It is priceless. Roly Poly Fish Heads, Barnes and Barnes. Young. That's yeah, right. He directed that, but he did. this one is 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 very well acted and well written and and very solidly uh, directed by Bill Paxton. So uh, and it got the number five slot, and that was a tough it was a tough slot to get. I'm not going to lie to you. There are so many serial killer movies. There are so, so let me just go over the rules. They couldn't be strictly police procedural. They had to be an actual horror movie, and they couldn't be supernatural. Otherwise, it would have been all Freddy Kruegers and the whatnots, right? So those were the so it, it had to fulfill. It couldn't be either one of those things. But I still want to list for you, in case you're curious about how many super crazy, awesome serial killer movies there are that you need to see. Here are some that didn't make the list. Also, if you just want to get mad at me right now, I'll just tell you. Just avoid the Christmas rush. That's right. The Greasy Strangler. Yes. Bullshit artist. <laughs> By the way, if you anyone that hasn't seen Greasy Strangler, it is on our list for when are we going to show it? I, uh, I think it's October. It's coming up. So, frailty also. We trust have frailty me, This also. thing is so batshit insane. Happy birthday, Matt Wiener. Matt Wiener's birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> He's one of our writers at MadWolf.com and celebrating a birthday as well, so. Yeah, so the Greasy Strangler, also Sightseers. Sightseers, which we did have here. It's a great one. Yep. Death Wears a Ginger Beard. It's a great one. Man Bites Dog. That's another. It's a thing. These are like, I'm listing off some of my absolute all-time favorite movies. This is how this is how tough this competition is. Wolf Creek. That's another. That's one of your favorites. Oh. Yeah, Wolf Creek didn't make Brutal. it. Brutal. Love that one. Also, Snowtown Murders, which we like. Peeping yeah. Tom, which is a classic. And the last horror movie. Which, which we showed and everybody yeah. loved. Yeah, so some solid stuff there. Well, but, did uh, you see how many of these have actually been in the Fright Club screening lineup? Yeah. It's crazy. That's right. Who would have thought there would be that many great horror movies about serial killers? Everybody. Well, considering, like literally every single person thought there would be that many. Considering you control this Fright Club screening lineup, <laughs> don't yell at me about it. <laughs> so, that's, so that's number five. And uh, moving up to number four, it's the one we're going to see tonight here in just a few minutes from 2010. A secret agent exacts revenge on a serial killer through a series of captures and releases. Little cat and mouse game in I Saw the Devil. Okay, so we're just going to cruise right on past that one because we don't want to spoil anything for anybody. Since but in case you aren't familiar with it, it is uh, the director is Ji Woon Kim, who did Tale of Two Sisters, which is another one that we screened here tonight. So he's a big favorite of ours. Yeah. Yeah, that was solid. Um, yeah, we don't want to spoil anything, so we're going to talk about it when you guys aren't here. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right, we've ducked into an empty theater, as we always do, to talk about this one. Tonight's featured. The main lesson we take away from this one is the guy can take a beating. Yes, and we already knew that because it is Mincic Choi, old boy. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, this is the man that can take some punishment, which is a good thing because that's basically 75% of this movie is that guy taking some punishment. Yeah, he is the serial killer. He is. Which is why this movie made our list, and uh, he ends up... One of his victims is the girlfriend, fiance, of a guy who I guess you'd call him a secret agent, kind of a... Right, and, and her father is the chief of police. Right. Uh, but the boyfriend is played by Byung-Hun Lee, which you might remember. I mean, he's been in a lot of American films, too, including uh, Magnificent Seven, yeah. the remake of Magnificent Seven. He was also, Seven. he was a, a, played a big role in that awful G.I. Joe, one right. of the G.I. Joe movies. He's but... in the red yeah, sequel, so yeah, he's so a, he's you recognize making him. some transition over to American films and might be recognized by American audiences because he's he's got quite a striking presence. Yes, and actually, that's one of the things that and, and we talked about this a little bit. This film made our list of of best uh, Korean horror, mm-hmm. which we did some time back. And uh, and the top of that list was actually director Ji Woon Kim's Tale of Two Sisters. Yeah, uh, and but this one also made the list. And uh, one of the things about this and about several other Korean horror films, including uh, Old Boy and including one that we liked called Bedeviled, is like this juxtaposition of this disheveled sort of unkempt uncontrolled rage character mm-hmm. versus this very refined sort of physically chiseled low-key character and and that's definitely what they're pitting against each other in this film Which- as Byung Hung Lee's character chases Min Sik Choi you know in this cat and mouse game. Which I I probably I would guess I'm not an expert on the Korean culture but I would guess that is some some cultural comment sure. about those two clashing ways of not only dealing with these two characters, but the two, I guess, culture clash coming into into close contact and battling each other, I think is probably a comment on the society. Oh, I would guess. Yeah, that sounds very likely. As it goes on, too, as the cat and mouse game between the FBI agent, FBI, I guess that, <laughs> not exactly <laughs> the FBI, but I, what do you call him, a secret agent, between the secret agent and his prey, the uh, serial killer, goes on because he doesn't kill him right away. He wants to hold on to him for some more pain and to inflict pain. Yeah, he wants to really punish him. Punish him. Uh, But then the power starts to shift a little bit in maybe a little bit of a contrived way. You know, we could could argue that point. But what's more interesting to me is the power shift and how it happens and then what happens afterwards. And the illusion of control. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, that, that um, I think the film does not paint the sort of, quote, hero in heroic terms, you know, because a lot of people would have lived much better lives had he just taken care of this at the beginning, but that's not what he wanted to do. He wanted to punish him. Right, and it does get a little, some of these side characters, uh, the ancillary characters, do a little bit of, of telling, like in some of them the morals that they're trying to impart. Yeah. They do tell it a little bit more than I like, uh, I guess, but uh, but still, it doesn't detract and also that much from the film. gives you the sense that Korea is just crawling with serial killers. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> and also, the more it goes on, you, you really can't help, since this one did come out in 2010, a full 15 years after the movie Seven, you really 
you can't help but notice a few things, a few stylistic and, and thematic yeah. choices it makes that borrows from sure. from the movie Seven. I'm not going to go into them because that'll be too much of a spoiler, but if you've seen Seven and then you see this movie, you will definitely pick out some things that are very similar. Have some similarities, of, but of here's... Uh, I mean, the movie does a lot of things really, really right. And the performances of the leads in particular is amazing. And the writing is really great because, um, you know, first of all, you should just know going into it, this is a percussively violent film. <laughs> it is. This is an incredibly violent movie. But it's also got two really very well fleshed out and believable considering the storyline performances in the two leads, which is great. But the other thing that I just think you can't get past is how great the practical effects are in this movie. They are. It's hard to believe those aren't real body parts. Yeah, and they're uncomfortable. And some of the the pain that's inflicted is quite squirmy. Yes. Squirmy in your seat. And yes, some of the practical effects do look really shockingly real yes um so much that it's 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 very effective so yeah it is uh this one is a little longer than a lot of the features that we show here on fright club live this one goes about 220 mm-hmm. but uh, it doesn't really feel too long it uh, doesn't no i agree with you it doesn't because it's just you know it moves at a quick clip there's always something astonishing happening <laughs> or about to happen yeah and it takes a couple detours uh along the way and some and throws some more side characters at you that are, are a little crazy, yes. a little batshit, yes. before it gets to the final the final showdown and the final comeuppance, which is definitely spectacular in, I, I in just, a grisly way. Yeah, Minsik Choi is so great in this movie, and I love him anyway, but he's just so wrong, so <laughs> scary. Yeah. Oh, my God, I love him in this. Very much so. So that's I Saw the Devil. We're going to show it here in just a bit. And before we get back in there, give a plug for our other podcast, The Screening Room. Yes. A big week at the movies in general this week, not just for horror movies. The latest installment of the Planet of the Apes prequel (gasps) trilogy. Big one. War for the Planet of the Apes is coming out. We'll have our review of that. Plus, we're going to talk about a new horror movie called Wish Wish Upon. Upon. That is coming out this week. And we always talk about what's new in streaming and home video. So uh, please, for all the new releases, uh, check us out in The Screening Room every week. That can be found on demand at thescreeningroompodcast.com. And we talked about our next Fright Club Live uh, in August. That's going to be that's coming up on August 9th, and it's going to be The Reflecting Skin. Yes. But our next podcast is going to be in a couple of weeks, and we're going to be joined by the B-Movie Bros. That's right. So we were on their show a couple of months ago, and so we're happy to have them on our show. It's exciting. We're excited to have them. And we are going to talk about amputees. Woohoo! Okay, so lots coming up. Always keep up on the latest doings on the Facebook page, Mad Wolf Columbus, and, of course, the main website, madwolf.com. So let's get back in there. Let's cue Wayne and Garth and go back in and finish up and then see I Saw the Devil. So at number three, one we've mentioned a few times in a, a few different uh, categories, it's a wealthy New York investment banking executive hiding his alternate psychopathic ego from his co-workers and friends as he delves deeper into his violent hedonistic fantasies and business cards from 2000 American Psycho. Let's see Paul Allen's card. Look at that subtle off-white coloring. The tasteful thickness of it. Oh my God. It even has a watermark. Something wrong? Patrick? You're sweating. <laughs> I know. I'll tell you what, every time, this was just on, I caught it flipping channels the other night it was on, and every time I see any part of it, I just 
it gets funnier every time. Yeah, it's 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 just brilliant. It's just brilliant. And 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 everything about the way she did it, Mary Heron, the way she just streamlined the book to really focus on just this subversive send-up of 80s culture. And, the, oh. oh, my God, the way she used music, shut up. And just the way she framed everything. Yeah. And we've said this before. Um, every scene with Willem Dafoe is the cop who's investigating yeah. Bateman. They shot every scene three different times. One, where the cop knew that he was the killer. One, where the cop believed he wasn't the killer. And one, where the cop really wasn't sure either way. And then she just mixed it up as she actually put it together. So just completely kept you off, off balance the whole time, which the whole movie sort of does. Oh, yeah. It's, it's such a dark, dark comedy. Oh, it's and, the darkest comedy of all <laughs> comedies. And, and like you said, such a, such a commentary on that culture. And a lot of it, I think the vast majority of the dialogue in the movie is taken word for word from the book, yeah. from the Brett Easton Ellis book. Although, like you say, they streamline it very well to get it to the movie form. And there's a couple of different, I think, different stories or, or uh, you know, conventional wisdom about Christian Bale's performance. He based it on... That it's flawless? It's pretty darn good. And that he based it on a, a talk show appearance of Tom Cruise's. That's what I'd always heard. And also, one of your favorites, he based it on Nicolas Cage's performance in Vampire's Kiss. <laughs> you know what? I actually wrote an article comparing those two characters. So well, there look you how go. smart I am. Yeah, it, it makes total sense. So not, just, not just his performance. All, really, all the performances down to you know the other guys who wear the exact same glasses oh God, and look the same. You know they're they're all so good, and of course the the great uh, almost cameo by Jared Leto, immortalized in the Huey Lewis thing, oh, but yeah. uh, so much of it is just a perfect. It's one of those. Maybe I throw the term you know time capsule movie around a lot, but this one really does. If you're going to talk about the '80s, oh, yeah. and just sum up no, that you know, sort of you know, the culture, one, the performance that that always kills me in here is Kara Se- Seymour who plays the prostitute. Yeah, because it's such a genuine and tender and not superficial performance that it's just it's almost jarringly tender in the middle of all that. And then he chases around stark naked, covered in blood with a chainsaw in front of his wang. And you think, I don't <laughs> want this to be funny. Like, I don't want this to be funny. And then at the same time, you think, I'm soulless uh, because this is funny. You know, it has a bit of a, I guess depending on how you might want to take it, a bit of ambiguous ending. You have a couple of possibilities that Patrick did all those crimes and killed all those people or that he didn't kill anyone but simply fantasized the whole thing. Sure. So uh, e- either way, I think it works. And it's we were talking about this the other, the other day, about what Mary Heron went on to do after this, because this shows a lot of potential, but after this, she really hasn't done a whole lot of note. No, she did. Done a lot of TV, I the think. The Moth Diaries. The Moth Diaries, bad, yeah. like, boarding school, almost vampire bad thing that wasn't worth seeing. Yeah. And, and a lot she, of, shot, she did I Shot Andy Warhol, but I don't know the sequence. I don't know if that came out before or after this. That's but. right, and a lot of TV episodes. But this one, this one is iconic for so many reasons. Number three on our list of serial killer horror, the dark comedy American Psycho, which moves us up to number two. And if you are to be believed, this one almost made number one. It was close. It was close. It was back it and was forth. It was very, very, very. It really was. It was very close. Like and I swapped this out like three different times. Because this is a this is a nearly perfect, especially an examination of serial killers. And, and it's I from, think you'll know from 1986 with Henry a drifter committing a series of brutal murders, supposedly operating with impunity. It's Henry portrait of a serial killer. You telling me you never killed anybody before? I ain't saying that. Open your eyes, Otis. Look at the world. It's either you or them. 
Yeah, I'll tell you, this one is tough to watch now. Remember, this came out, or at least was released in 1986. I don't think it got a full theatrical release until a few years later. But yeah, man, about two years, because it was really in the in the film festival circuit for a long time before it got distributed. Well, I think, too, it was it was held back because the producers and, and the studio thought they were going to get a you know, a straight kind of a teenage slasher flick and weren't really <laughs> sure yeah, what what to do with it. But then it made the Chicago Film Festival and got just glowing reviews. And then and that was about two or three years later. But it's brutal. It is. It is an incredibly disturbing movie from yes. beginning to end. And part of it is because I think it's um, it's such an unemotional telling. The, yeah. the movie doesn't suggest to you that he's doing anything wrong or that he's doing anything. It certainly doesn't glorify it, but it doesn't really downplay it either i mean it's there's so much it's such a logical sort of dissection of his of his mind also i want to point out otis who showed up is the name of the axe that bill paxton uses in frailty which i always love that yeah um and then also this movie is all over the last horror movie all over it. oh yeah uh, so i mean it's just it's an incredibly it's just an important film in terms of good horror movies and also michael rooker is just utterly flawless and one of the things i loved about it and you see it a little bit in the trailer is he where like like where his his sort of gray area in morality comes in because it doesn't want otis to kiss his sister yeah yeah but literally any other thing on planet earth is fine anything else ever good yeah and of course uh otis is tom tolls who passed away what just a couple of years ago yeah i think last year yeah surprisingly and he and he's great and it's funny that Michael Rooker has gone on, you know, to be so well known for like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies yeah. and things like that. And because, boy, back then he was just stone cold evil. Yes, he was in this movie, and so believable uh, as Henry, which is based on uh, Henry Lee Lucas. Henry Lee Lucas, a serial killer, and one of the many little uh, devices that director uh, John McNaughton uses. If you notice throughout the whole film, purposely there's not any policeman. No police officers are shown. There's a squad car shown, but not actual officers. And that was he wanted to give the feeling of just total lawlessness huh. in this guy's in this guy's universe, in this guy's worldview. That, like you said, he was operating just except for that one yeah. line you didn't cross. Right. He was just operating without impunity. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the other thing that makes the movie in the end so devastating is the character of Becky. And, yeah. and how you you think that she's brought out this ounce of humanity because I think we're we're especially by 1986 trained to be looking for something like that. Like if the movie isn't going to outright condemn him, then he must have some redeeming quality. And and it seems like it's Becky. Yeah, it is not Becky. <laughs> it isn't. And then it's got that one very jarring scene that's reminiscent of the one we always talk about in audition, like. <laughs> what's going on in the background mm-hmm. that just kind of just jolts you like, oh, my Lord, do I even want to know? We don't. What's going on back there? <laughs> and uh, that was number two, almost number one. Number two on our list is Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. And if you listen to the podcast at all, you probably know what she's going to have at number one. From 1991, a young FBI cadet must confide in an incarcerated and manipulative killer. To receive his help on catching another serial killer who skins his victims, the silence of the lambs. You spook easily, Starling. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. Just do your job, but never forget what he is. 
so close to the way you're going to catch him. Do you realize that? You told me you don't spook easily. You call this easy, sir? Lester's missing hand arm. Man's a raving maniac. Who knows what he'll do? If you haven't ever, this is my all-time favorite movie. This is my favorite movie that's ever been made ever. And it's just, I mean, it's so it's two different serial killers. Both of them are awesome at, like, in their own way. So before we get into Hannibal Lecter, who's but a little love for Ted Levine. Oh, my God. Yeah. Te- Wait a minute. A Ted Levine, fat person? Who, who apparently the idea of the, we had a, a previous podcast about dances, yes. dance sequences. Yes. And the, the, the incredible dance sequence in this film was apparently his idea. He came up with that to wow. help round out the character. So wow. another another big uh, way to go, huzzah, to Ted Levine, who That's is, right. you know, and if you remember, Jodie Foster uh, mentioned him in her acceptance speech in yeah. the Oscars that year because he maybe was getting a little bit forgotten about in the awards circuit that year, and he's fantastic. Oh, my God, he's so great. He's so great. And, of course, Hannibal Lecter is just one of the greatest all-time screen villains. He's just, I mean, and the way Jonathan Demme shot them, and, and, and I've talked about this before. I mean, everybody's talked about this before. But you can see it in the trailer when, the, you know, the reflection in the, in the glass, he shoots them as equals, right, where, you know, usually if they're going to shoot a villain, they'll shoot up and they'll shoot the victim down. And the, and, and the fact that he always goes out of his way to shoot them as being equals and always mirror imaging, it's, it's I think, disconcerting for an audience because it makes it, seem to us even sub- subconsciously that we have something in common with this this guy who's going to eat people, who's going to, you know, take yeah. Sergeant Pembry's face and wear <laughs> it later. And not only that, but he's careful to, when characters are talking to Starling, they're usually talking, looking right into the camera. Yeah. Whereas she is looking, Jodie Foster is usually looking a little bit off camera to draw you into her point of right. view and how she's going through this. So it's it's brilliantly directed. This movie got a lot of help. The production got a lot of help from the FBI's Behavioral Sciences Unit. Jodie Foster uh, spent a lot of time with an FBI agent, and so did, this one I didn't know, so did Scott Glenn. So much so that he thanked the uh, FBI agent, John Douglas, I think was his name, thanked him, and he said he, he uh, wanted to thank him for, quote, letting me into your world. And uh, the FBI agent said, you really want to be into my world, and played him a tape of serial killer torturing two teenage girls and apparently scott glenn could only last about 30 seconds of listening to this thing so just think how unnerving that would be in trying to do you know research for your role and to to see how these people live with that every day my lord that would be that would be grisly but the the whole thing is like you said it's darn near flawless it's one of those movies that almost welcomes being taken apart scene by scene and how things are built and, and characters are built and even with I know a lot have been a lot of a lot has been made of the minimal screen time of Anthony Hopkins, right. but still that shows you how if it's done correctly, it can make such a an impact of a well-rounded character, even if a little bit of screen time. Yeah, and 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 I think not enough can be said about Jonathan Demme. You know, I mean, just the 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 music and the muted colors and and everything he does to to remove any ounce of anything lurid from this movie. If you think about the fact that a movie about a guy who wears human flesh 
being tracked by a guy who eats human flesh, and it won all five yeah. major Oscars. That's that's amazing. Amazing. Um, it's so astonishing, we- and it's yeah the best movie ever. <laughs> so that's number one, and we are going to uh, see. Of course, we're going to see. I saw the devil here in just a little bit. By the way, uh, if you haven't gotten a Fright Club button, if I missed anybody, please come see us after. We'll give you one free. We do have some Fright Club T-shirts for sale, just five bucks if you're interested. And I want to say, Rob and Jamie came up from Cincinnati. Tonight, they are big uh, Fright Club podcast listeners. It was a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Thank Hope you. you enjoy. Hope you won't be a stranger because as, you, as you're finding out, we have an incredible horror community here at the Gateway Film Center, and it's, it's a wonderful place. And, of course, we love them for having us back every month. By the way, speaking of every month, next month we look forward to the August edition. Do we know what it is? We do. The Reflecting Skin. Ooh. So if you haven't seen it and you probably haven't, you need to. You must. It's a brilliant, magnificent, amazing movie. And uh, the fact that we get to show it on a big screen, I, uh, which I've never seen it on a big screen, I can't wait. I can't wait. Even Jason Tostevin totally peeing his pants that we got the reflecting skin for next month. So come All right. Out. So uh, thank you so much. Get your, uh, your feedback to us. We love to keep the conversation going anytime. Easiest way to do that is on Twitter. You can find us at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. So with that, we've got I Saw the Devil coming up here in just a couple of minutes. And I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay Fright Club.